Well, good morning and welcome to the second Sunday of our Advent season. We say this every week and every year during this time, but that word Advent simply comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming or the arrival of a noteworthy person. And there's no one more noteworthy or important than Jesus Christ. Each week of Advent, we light one of the four candles of the Advent season. And today, lighting the second candle are my friends, the side family. Would you turn your attention to the candles to, my, to your left? Good morning. My name is Anthony Sides, and this is my wife, Jennifer, and our two girls, Teeley and Millie. Last week, we lit the hope candle, and we were reminded of the hope we have in Jesus, that God always keeps his promises. This week, we light the love candle that reminds us that God's shown us love in the flesh through Jesus. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever shall believe shall not perish but have eternal life. As part of that divine plan, God chose a young woman to bring his love to all people. After understanding the magnitude of God's plan and her role in it, Mary sings, sings praises to God in Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his Savior, servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for those who fear him from generation to generation. Excuse me. Uh, for those who fear him from generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their in, inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the riches away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. As we light the love candle this morning, we remember God's love that brings freedom to all who trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us that your love prompted you to keep your promises. Thank you for Jesus and for filling us to that we may be vessels of your love to this world. Amen. Howdy. Good to see you all this morning. Hey, I'm Josh. I'm one of the ministers. Welcome to Clear Creek. If this is your first time with us, welcome home. We mean that. We've been praying for you and we're so glad that you're here. Uh, some of you are filling seats that we've prayed over this week, specifically because we were asking that God would bring you here. And so it is no coincidence. We believe that you are here today. And I pray that as we open God's word, you will hear something, not from me, but from God to you. Because we believe that our Lord speaks Every time that the word of God is opened. And so today is no different. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bible, hope you brought it. If you don't, that's okay. It'll be on the big Bible on the screen here in a moment. But if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 to be precise. We will be in that text here in just a moment. Uh, I don't know about you, 
But every once in a while, I'll see something, I'll hear something, and then this thought will cross my mind. And here's the thought. I wonder what I would do in that situation. Have you ever had a moment, you've seen something, you've heard something, you're like, man, what would I do in that situation? So, for instance, it might be a real silly thing. So you hear the wife say to the husband, sweetheart, do these pants make me look fat? And I think, ugh, what would I do in that situation? Now, she's not in here. Let me just be clear. I would never have a problem answering that question for my wife because she is skinny, she's beautiful, and all those things, okay? But hypothetically, what would I do in that situation, right? So something silly like that, or maybe something a little more serious. Uh, So you hear about the doctor walks in the room and gives that diagnosis. Man, what would I do in a situation like that? And then there are moments that are like a really big, terrifying life or death moments in that instance. And you're like, what would I do in that situation? In fact, recently I saw a video of a life or death situation. Um, It happened to a hiker in Kyrgyzstan. Would you guys like to see the video? We're going to watch it anyway. So turn your attention to the screen. feel a little claustrophobic with that? I mean, oh my goodness, what do you do in a situation like that? You can't run from it. You can't avoid it. You can't get around it. What do you do in a situation like that? That's the question that Judah was asking. And that's the question I always ask when I come to the passage that we're looking at today in Isaiah chapter nine. By the way, for those of you who are going, what happened to the cameraman? Well, Good news, he made it, all right? So so there you go. But the question was, with Isaiah chapter 9, no one knew for sure, will we make it? The future was in doubt. The people of Judah were afraid. They could not avoid it. They could not outrun what was coming. They did not know what to do. And it was in that moment that the words of the prophet spoke of one who would come. And he was the only one who could fix what ailed them. These are the words that we heard a moment ago, but let's hear them again from Isaiah chapter nine, two verses, verse two and then verse six. Verse two says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Why? Verse six tells us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're in a series these few weeks leading up to Christmas. Based off of this verse in chapter 9 where it says, And he will be called And we're looking at the different titles of the one who will come, we believe who came, and who we believe will one day come again. His name is Jesus Christ. By the way, when we speak of Advent, the season of anticipation of the arrival of a noteworthy person, there are two Advents that the Christian considers. The first is the Advent of Christ's birth and his ascension. 
But the Christian during Christmas also begins to long and anticipate the second coming, the second advent of Christ. And we say together, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because what ails the world is bigger than any of us have the ability to fix. We can't get around it. We can't avoid it. But you can get us through it. And these are the titles that we see of who this one would be. The first one we looked at was last week, which was a Wonderful Counselor. But the question I find myself asking is this, what good is great advice if you have no ability to do it? So it brings us to the second title, today's title, which is, and he shall be called the mighty God. Now I know when we hear this phrase, it just kind of rolls off our minds because we've heard it so many times, but here's what you need to know. This title of all of them was absolutely the most awkward and strange both to the ancient Hebrews and to the modern American listener. Let me explain. When it comes to this word, and let's just sort of meditate on these two words this morning. Keep it real simple here. Let's start with the word God. When we consider the word God, to us, that seems, yeah, Jesus is God. No big deal. But to the ancient hearer, to hear someone called God other than for big G God, Yahweh, was a real problem. Everything about this is weird because for the Hebrews, you may address a king with lowercase l, Lord. You'll hear of a king being the Lord, but lowercase l, Lord. But no one in their right mind would address a king as God, certainly not a baby as God. Remember, every day the Hebrews would recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would recite it in the morning and in the evening. Central to being a Hebrew was the belief that there was but one God and you did not call a mere human God. So why in the world and how in the world can they call this little baby to be God? Because, friends, he was more than just a baby. And here's why this is so important. See, the world did not need and does not need another king. We're all full up. We're not taking applications. Don't need another king, do we? The world does not need another king. The world does not need another monarch. The world does not need another prime minister. The world does not need another president. What our world desperately needs is God. And what is broken in the hearts of men cannot be fixed at the ballot box. It can only be fixed through the power of the mighty one himself, Jesus Christ. And so this first title of God comes onto the scenes as a strange, strange declaration of who this baby would be. Now, the nation of Israel understood the fact that they needed more than a mortal. They needed God because they were in trouble in Isaiah chapter 9. Let me give you a little bit of context by way of a map here. So Judah was a small little nation. Go ahead and put this slide up. Small little nation in the southernmost portion of what was Israel. To their north was the nation of Israel and further was Syria. Now, before you show the next slide, let me give a little context here. Judah was once a part of the United Kingdom with Israel in the north, 12 tribes of Israel. But years earlier from this point, there was a civil war and the nation broke apart. Ten tribes gathered together in the north, calling themselves Israel. There were only two tribes in the south. Benjamin and Judah, who joined together, retaining the title of Judah. And now there is this conflict between them. To make matters worse, Israel, the nation in the north, had joined forces with Syria. And they came to Judah with a proposition. Here's the proposition. Join us 
in fighting another uh, army or we're going to kill you. Now, who is this other army? It was this nation called Assyria. And it was on the war path, growing ever bigger, ever more powerful. It was a monstrous nation that did horrific things to its conquered people. In fact, do you want to know what the uh, capital of Assyria is? Nineveh. Who in here remembers the story of a guy who's supposed to go to Nineveh but decided to take a trip inside of a fish? Yeah, this is that nation and it's getting bigger. And so Israel and Syria say, join us in fighting Assyria or we're going to come and destroy you before Assyria ever gets a chance. So King Ahaz, he doesn't really like that option. What do you do? He's asking the same question. What do you do in this situation? What does he do? He sends money to Assyria and says, help, help. My neighbors to the north are trying to take me over. Will you come and defend me against Israel who's trying to fight against you? And they're trying to get me to help me fight against you. Listen, this has more twists and turns than a daytime soap opera. There's all these things happening. Right becomes wrong. Left becomes right. Up is down. Everything is inside out, which is why Isaiah makes these words. In chapter 8, he says, The people will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Why? Because... They can't fix what's in front of them. What do you do in a situation where he can't run away from you? You can't get around it. You can't avoid it. And what do we do in this situation? Now, this is where I would want to pause and say, okay, church, what happens if we were in this exact situation? Here's what I know would happen. Are you ready? We'd say, we need to call a new election. We need fresh blood, new ideas, someone who can get us out of the problem that we're in. The guy who's there now just ain't cutting it. We need a new guy to lead us. And we begin to get people together and we'd say, I think this guy can help us or that guy can help us. And Isaiah says to you and me through the pages of history, nope. Kings got us into this problem. Mere mortals caused the problems we're facing. Simply exchanging this mortal for that mortal isn't going to fix the problem, friends. What we need is someone who's not like us to deal with the problems that we have made. We don't need another man. We need God. And not just any God, he says, we need a mighty God. So, So what is it about this God that makes him mighty? By the way, that phrase, mighty God, is kind of a strange one to us, isn't it? Think with me for a moment here. When was the last time you ever needed someone to qualify what kind of God was mighty? Most of us, when we hear the word God, we assume mighty is built into what it means to be a God. (laughs) Not so to the ancient hearers. The ancient world was full of gods and deities and demigods. And some of them were incredibly impressive, but others were not so very impressive at all. In fact, one of my favorite ancient Roman gods is the... Okay, you didn't know your preacher had favorite gods of the ancient world. I do. Here's my favorite one. It's Robigus. Everyone say Robigus. You're like, what does that mean? Here's what it means. He's the ancient god. I'm not making this up. He is the ancient god of rust and fungus. That's right. You get that funky little itch between your toes. Robigus! You leave your bike out in the rain and it starts to rust a bit. Robigus! He's not very mighty, but he's a god. So to simply say there will come one who is a god was not to say much at all. We don't need just a god. We need the mighty god. 
The ancient world was full of gods and every nation had their own gods. The Greeks had Zeus, Ares, and Athena. The Egyptians had Amun-Ra, Hapi, and Heket. The Canaanites have Baal, Asherah, and Molech. Now, and this is very, very important. Whenever you read your Bible, what I'm about to say is going to help you in reading and understanding the Bible. So pay attention. What we need to understand is every conflict between nations was ultimately a conflict between those nations and their gods. Is this God more powerful or is that God more powerful? So when Israel faces off against the foreign powers around them, the question is not, is our army more powerful, but is our God more powerful? Are you tracking with me on this? So for instance, you remember the story of King David before he's king. Shepherd boy David goes out to face the giant named Goliath. And what does Goliath do? He taunts David and David's God. Why? Because their battle was not simply a battle between the two of them. It was a conflict between Goliath's God and David's God. Or Elijah and the prophets of Baal was a battle between their God, Baal, and our God, Yahweh. Who will win this contest? Well, let me give you one more example from the Old Testament. You remember Moses. When he called down the 10 different plagues on Egypt, you remember this story, Charlton Heston, he comes in that epic beard, this moment, and he starts to call down these different plagues. Let's just talk about what's going on there. He's not simply attacking Pharaoh, he is attacking the gods of Pharaoh. So that moment with the Nile River, that whole situation, do you want to know what God that is? That's the God Hopi. It's actually that middle one right there that you see on the screen. So when God turns the Nile River to blood, it is God saying, I just slew your God and he is bleeding out all over the place. You remember the three days of darkness plague? That's an attack on that top middle one, Amun-Ra. He was the sun God. So God says, I just slew him because he can't shine anymore. And then the frogs, do you remember that moment where all the frogs appear in Egypt? What's that about? Well, it turns out that the goddess of fertility, Heket, was a very unique looking woman. In fact, she's depicted in the bottom center of your screen. What kind of head does Heket have? A frog head. God is making fun of the ancient gods. Every one of the conflicts you see in the Old Testament between Israel and the foreign powers, Judah and the foreign powers, is always a conflict between the gods. Whose God is mightiest? And friends, we still ask that question today, don't we? Now, we don't maybe call it by these names. But that is still the question that we are asking today. We have been, we are, and we will forever be asking this one very important question. What God will we trust? What God will you and I choose to trust? And yes, we don't have the ancient gods to choose from, but friends, we have our own selection of gods right here in the grand old U.S. of A. Let me just prove it to you for a moment here. Um, How many of you recognize this symbol right here? Any of you know what this is? Some of you, because of the economy, are going, no, I don't remember. What is that thing? I don't think I've seen them in a long time. That's what we call a dollar bill, okay? Dollar bill, it used to be worth something. You know what this is? Well, in 1956, the United States put on the bill its new national motto, in God we what? Trust. Okay, you know it. And so we'll say, in God we trust, and yet we will often talk about the power of the almighty dollar. We'll say we trust God, but we talk about the almighty power of this piece of paper. Let me give you another one. How about these symbols right here? 
Some of us, we celebrate pleasure. That is what we celebrate in the God that we serve. So whether it is physical pleasure or living for the weekend, so many of us are just living for the next dopamine hit. The God of dopamine is what we live for. And then maybe this third one, I don't know, maybe we, some of us say Jesus is Lord, but if we're honest with ourselves, we actually worship at the idol of the donkey God or the elephant God. And we think that our deity will save us from what ails us. Friends, the question that they were facing back then is the same question we face this morning as we barrel towards Christmas Day. What God will you, what God will I trust? Because we always have a choice. Now, it's one thing to say that Jesus is the mighty God. In fact, that's what we're supposed to do because we're in church, right? Jesus is the mighty God. You got to say it if you're going to come in. Also, you got to wear matching socks or so I've been told. And so we come in, Jesus is God. But do we actually have any proof of this, Josh? Why, yes, we do. Thank you for asking. Let me give you some evidence why he is not simply in name, but indeed the mighty God. Buckle up. Here we go. It's a matter of historical record that Jesus was not born under Assyrian rule. Wait, Assyria, the nation that was threatening to destroy everyone? How did Jesus not be born under their rule? What happened to Assyria? Well, as it turns out, the Assyrian Empire fell within 130 years of Isaiah's prophecy about this one who would be born, who would be the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. Assyria's gods are forgotten, but the mighty God lives. And then for 700 years, nation after nation arose, each nation claiming their gods as the mightiest, most powerful. Yet, nation after nation fell and was lost to the dustbin of history. Now, almost no one knows the names, let alone worships the gods of Babylon, of Persia, of the Medes, or the Greeks. But we do know the one name, don't we? And then centuries later, after 700 years from this moment of prophecy, Jesus was finally born into human history. And the question remained, is he really the mighty God? Can we trust him? After all, Jesus was born not as a free man, but under the shadow of the Romans and their gods. And Rome crucified Jesus. So how could he be the mighty God? Because he did not stay in that grave, friends. On the third day... He walked forth, breaking the teeth of the dead, and yes, throwing his hand in victory in the face of all of the gods of Rome, including the gods of life and death. Our God, once again, proves that he is victorious. No matter what you may think of Jesus, it is a matter of historical record that Jesus' tomb was found empty. And then he begins to appear to his followers, empowering the small, fragile community to grow. And not just grow by one or two, but by thousands and tens of thousands. So much so that Rome begins to notice. And Rome doesn't like it. So Rome tries to stamp them out. Problem is, every time Rome tries to exterminate this group called Christians, Christ followers, they grow larger. How is that possible? They had no army, no political power, no advanced technology. How did this fledgling community make its way out of the first century? I'll tell you how. It's because they were empowered not by a mere mortal, a mere child or king. They were empowered by the mighty God. He is the multiplying God who is embodied power who then gives it to those who follow him. And the question I would ask you today, if you want proof of who Jesus is, ask yourself this question. Where's Rome? Where is Rome's gods? Gone. 
No one worships Jupiter, Neptune, or Apollo. The only name worshipped today by more than 2 billion people is Jesus Christ, the mighty God. See, Christmas is the defiant declaration that Jesus is the only one who can fix what ails this world, church. He is the one true God over creation and the one who entered creation to fix what was broken in creation. Now you say, wow, is that all the proof we have? Well, no, there's a lot more. I don't have time for much of it, but let me give you a little bit more. Today is December the 3rd, 2000, what year? 2023. I heard a small child say it. Either that or the medication's not working the way it should. Why is today, December 3rd, 2023? 2023 years from what? From the moment when this God-man stepped foot into human history. This mighty God has so overwhelmed the world that you cannot look at a calendar without being reminded of him. If you travel to the north this morning into Minnesota, you will come to a a town called St. Cloud. Question, why is there a St. Cloud? Because once upon a time, there was a man named Clodalt, better known as Cloud, whose life was changed, not by a mere mortal, but by the mighty God, Jesus Christ. If you go west from us this morning to Texas... And you come to a city called San Antonio. You say, why was there a San Antonio? Because once there was a man named Anthony who met the mighty God named Jesus Christ who so radically changed his life that when he got here, he affected such great change because of the power in him from Christ that a city is named after him. If you keep going further west, all the way to the very west coast, you will come to another city, the capital of California. You want to know what the capital city is called? Sacramento. Why is there a Sacramento? Because years ago, there was this mighty God in body form who had a meal with his friends the night before he died. He took bread and he took wine and he said, this meal is to be a holy meal, a sacrament. Remember me. And even in one of the most godless states of our union, the presence and power of God is naming spaces. That is the power of our mighty God. I was driving through Saudi Daisy this past week. You say, well, why is there a Saudi Daisy? Answer, no one really knows. However, if you zigzag, okay, don't email me, I'm joking. If you zigzag across America, you will find name after name, place after place that bears the name of those who have been changed by the mighty God. You do not see cities For Neptune, you do not see cities for Baal. You see cities and places named after the one who saved men from their sins. And this time of year, his birth, it's the most recognized and celebrated day in the world. It is right now causing traffic jams all across our dear city. How does that happen 2,000 years around the world? I'll tell you why, because there was a man who's more than a man, that the words of the prophet came true. That God himself entered the story and said, you can't fix what's broken, but I can because I am the mighty God, he says. Last one. The instrument on which he died that hangs behind me is the single most recognizable symbol around the world. It marks more graves and adorns more jewelry and art than any expression of any death in history. Why? Because unlike every other death in human history, Jesus rose from the grave and he did not die again. How? 
because he is not just a man. He is the one that Messiah prophesied would come. He is the mighty God. Assyria will fall. Babylon will fall. Rome will fall. Nazi Germany will fall. Communist Russia will fall. And long after America and every other nation is gone and forgotten, there will be one name who sits on the throne of eternity. His kingdom will come to no end. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the prophesied mighty one, the mighty God. This is who you celebrate, friends. This time of year is not just about a baby. It's not about snacks. It's not about presents. It is about the promise that when you and I look at the avalanche of our lives and say, what do we do? He says, I'll take care of it. See, Christmas is not just sentimental, feel good. Let's just talk about the things that make us feel good, but gloss over the problems. Friends, our world is facing serious problems. Some of you are saying this morning, it's not the world, Josh, it's my own family. I don't know what to do. It's my own heart. I don't know what to do. Here's the good news. The one Isaiah prophesied would come is still here today and he wants to meet you today. See, Christmas is one of these beautiful moments where we have the responsibility to evaluate, to ask at a soul level, seriously consider what God do I trust? Because there are so many gods who will say, just trust me. But friends, when the avalanche of life is coming down, it's not the dollar that will save you. It's not pleasure and it is not power. It is the mighty God himself. So I want to give us a moment just to talk to him. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you or put you on the spot. But just you and God for a moment, would you talk to him? Some of us don't know what to say because we... Maybe we haven't talked to him in a while, or perhaps it's always been that surface-level conversation, so let me help you out here. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your God, I would start by saying, would you show yourself to me? And if you're ready to take steps into getting to know him more, we would love to introduce you to the mighty God who has saved us. You meet me in the lobby during our last song here in a moment. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to take your next step. But maybe here this morning, you know him, but you have been walking from him or you've been trusting other gods. Friend, you will not surprise him by telling him that. He already knows. Just confess, what is it that you're trusting? And then just say, Lord, I want to trust you. Would you give me your hand? Let me hold close. Holy Father, we thank you this morning that you sent the mighty God into our midst. That the promise of Isaiah carried through the centuries that continue to hold your church together around the world this morning that Jesus Christ is available to each of us. Meet us where we are. Touch our hearts as only the mighty God can. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.